I'm David Clough. And I'm Steve Schmidt. And this is Battleground, the podcast from The Recount. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Nicole Wallace, the host of Deadline on MSNBC, and Stephanie Cutter, the chief program executive of the Democratic National Convention and former deputy campaign manager for President Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. But David, first, let's talk some about the unprecedented attacks coming from Donald Trump on our democracy, on our elections process. In the last week, he has, one, said that he is not going to abide by the election results, basically the biggest threat toward democracy since its founding. Secondly, when talking about COVID-19, said that really it hasn't affected virtually anybody, uh, despite the hundreds of thousands of deaths and millions of people who've lost their job and become sick. And then third, he continues to fly around the country, basically doing a super spreader tour. <laughs> so Steve, here, here's a question for you. You know Republican psychology much better than I do. So as we think about a scenario that Joe Biden has won the election, maybe we know that on November 3rd, maybe it takes a few days. Trump says, I'm not going to concede. I'm going to contest the election. I actually won whether it's Republican senators, Republican members of the House, you know, governors, secretaries of state, business leaders. Is this something where the wall will hold? Or do you think Trump's going to find some allies in this effort to undermine our democracy? Let's go back to Florida in 2000. The system is not particularly well designed to handle a presidential campaign that's decided by about 500 votes in one state. It's too close. It strains the system. You you hope for a more decisive outcome, right? So there's a couple of scenarios. Imagine one scenario where it's that close, you know, and and at that point, you know, neither side should concede or be prepared to concede because both sides will have claimed to have won the election. What I think the issue is with Trump is this, where it's pretty clear that Biden has been elected president of the United States. To very clear, to certain that he's been elected president of the United States. And Trump refuses to concede. He asserts that there's been massive election fraud, in fact, that he's the winner. What's the next thing that happens? How many people do we know, former colleagues of mine, former opponents of yours, but how many people would willingly step across the line that can never be recrossed and work for the purposes of maintaining power for an American leader who was rejected by the American people? Who would be an active participant in ending the American experiment by advocating for the retention of power by somebody they knew had legitimately lost it and was spinning fables out of whole cloth designed to try to hold on to it. Like that, that question is a, is an essential one. And I think the answer is a hell of a lot more people than we ever could have imagined are on the wrong side of that question. And that scares the shit out of me, frankly. Right. So let me dig in on on one scenario. So it is midnight Eastern time, November 3rd, election day. Biden has either won Florida or it's clear he's going to win Florida because they count a lot of their uh, mail ballots ahead of time. Um, 
and he's doing well in other parts of the country, which would suggest he's going to win the presidency. But in the raw vote totals, you've got Trump ahead in a Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. He goes out and says, I've won. The rest of the votes are corrupt. What do you think the McConnells of the world, you know, the Republican governors of the world, the McCarthy's of the world, what do they say at that moment? Do they say, no, 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 we got to count all the votes? Or do they throw in with Trump? And I've always believed they'll say, we're going to count all the votes. But again, I just think we should not be naive about where this could go. I think they'll throw in with Trump. Um, Really? That's what all the evidence suggests. And I say this with all seriousness, and you and I have had explicit conversations. You know, I don't believe in the former president superheroes club. You know, I, I think that all of our former presidents are by definition, despite important work that they do and contributions they make, you know, substantively, by definition, they're all figures of the past. You know, they, they will never lead the nation again. But I certainly hope, and I don't think Bill Clinton, for a bunch of reasons, you know, figures into this, but I sure hope President Obama, President Bush, and President Carter are in some amount of contact with each other and have some sort of contingency to speak to the country if it gets to this place. I agree with you. Our system's really not set up for a uh, well for a contest where 150 million people vote, where it comes down to a few hundred votes. But, you know, if you win the election, you should win the election and you should take office. And I think where we are now, unfortunately, is there is a burden to try and deliver a victory for Biden of such significance <laughs> that it's clear that he's won, yeah. you know, even if some of his vote comes in afterwards. And and by the way, that should not be normalized, but that is kind of where we are. You I think it's is, really important. Although I guess, you know, listen, if they're able to, uh, if they are able to confirm Trump's selection of Supreme Court pre-election, um, and it's clear that Trump's lost no matter what he says, is there a psychology here that uh, we want to be rid of this guy? Right? For sure. For sure. Just sort of clean the slate. Yeah. But it won't happen right away. Well, Steve, I could talk to you all day about all these topics, but uh, we've got a couple awesome guests waiting for us. So excited to hear their take on all things debate and Supreme Court. David, we're both really lucky today to be joined by two great personal friends of ours, all-star political veterans, Nicole Wallace, host of Deadline on MSNBC and Stephanie Cutter, the former deputy campaign manager for President Obama. Nicole Wallace, Stephanie Cutter, thanks for joining us on Battleground. Great to have both of you with us. Thanks so much for having us. So, Steve, I'll start off with a question. So let's talk about the the debate next Tuesday. Just sort of table setting, given where the race is, which is Biden's had a significant and stable lead, really, all the way back to February. It seems like Donald Trump, particularly as an incumbent, has to do something to adjust this race. What do you think Trump needs to get out of next Tuesday uh, to change the trajectory of this campaign? I think that we should expect anything up to, you know, Trump taking off his clothes and playing with his peepee. I mean, he is a disruptor. <laughs> he is, you know, debased the office. And I think for Joe Biden's part, he should be prepared for everything up to standing there and saying, I swear to you, when I'm president, you'll never have to read a tell-all from a porn star who can describe my private parts. I mean, and, and look, and that's the backstop, right? So you prepare for every you know, possible scenario up to that. And if there's something weirder than that, I I don't know what it is. My brain isn't prepared for it. I am reassured sometimes by the stability 
of the race. But I think we have to sort of widen the possibility of what Trump will do. He knows how to throw a shiny stink bomb in the middle of any televised event and have it, if not serve him, at least blunt anyone else getting further ahead of him. And and that's what I think people should be braced for. Stephanie, what's the first thing that Joe Biden should say to him when he's up on that stage? You know, I think Biden will take the the high road and say, I hope we have a, you know, to use Donald Trump's words, a free and fair debate based on the facts. And then he should turn his attention to the American people watching and don't worry about Trump. Trump's number one goal will try to be to to knock Biden off balance, to make him feel uncomfortable, to prove to the American people what the Trump campaign has been spending six months on in terms of Biden's strength and mental capability of leading the country. I think Biden will obviously prove that wrong, as he has done along the way. But that's going to be Trump's number one goal. So I think in some ways, Biden has to have blinders on and really speak to the country and focus on speaking to the country. Do you think he should shake his hand? Yes, I do. It'll be Biden's instinct to do that. That's who Biden is. He is, you know, he's a gracious, you know, head up, above the board type guy. And that will be his instinct. Shake his hand and then take it from there. Nicole, so when you think about Joe Biden, and it can't just be one thing, this is 90 minutes after all, but, you know, when you think about some of the attributes, toughness, empathy, you know, clear policy plans, what do you think is the most important thing for him to reinforce when we think about some of those attributes? I think that he has turned out to be a far more disciplined candidate than was revealed through his time in the Senate or his time as vice president. And I think showing steadiness is as important as showing strength, because I think even people that are intoxicated by Trump and Trumpism could not say that there's any stability to that ride. Um, I also think that he has managed to land on um, sort of a, a, a brand just because it's it's a campaign against Donald Trump after all that, that is as as sort of effective that cuts through, um, like MAGA did four years ago. And that's, you know, I'm looking out for Scranton, not Park Avenue. Everything about Donald Trump is, you know, some version of the gold plated toilet, you know, tacky as hell, probably stolen, corrupt, and nothing that you find in any normal American household. So I think it's, it's not what he says and what message he carries. Cause again, that is predicated on substance being front and center. It's what he projects. It's what he comes back to. And it's sort of balancing, you know, understanding that the, the country's been in an abusive relationship with Donald Trump for four years from glorification of violence. He's been glorifying a, a violent attack on my colleague, Ali Velshi for a week. He's glorified state-sponsored violence, you know, Putin's poisoning of a political dissident. And he's glorified death. He is celebrating the maskless. He is defying the scientists. He is corrupting the vaccine. And I think Biden has a chance to stand there as a pro-life, pro-economic recovery uh, truth teller. And, And I think just that alone makes Trump look like the small failure he is. What should Biden address him as on the debate stage, Nicole? Well, I mean, look, this this is where I think Stephanie is sort of onto something. Biden shouldn't change who he is because Trump has changed who the rest of us are. I mean, so Biden's 
reverence for the office and whoever holds it will probably, I mean, it's definitely been no better than, than me as would you, David. I mean, he'll probably be hardwired to call him the president, um, but he's a failed president, no doubt. And I hope he has an opportunity to make that point as well. We'll be right back with Stephanie and Nicole to continue talking about the first presidential debate. Okay, we're back with NBC Deadline host Nicole Wallace and Stephanie Cutter, Barack Obama's deputy campaign manager uh, and the woman who produced the Democratic Convention. And we're going to continue to talk about the first presidential debate. What role does anger play in this debate strategically for Biden? I, I do think he has to show some, and I don't mean to personalize it to me, but I, um, I'm angry. I think all of you are angry. Mm-hmm. If it was me sitting in the room, what I would say to Joe Biden is that, that he has to meet this moment. And it's a moment that, that doesn't have a lot of room for bullshit in it. And I'd love for him to start out the debate saying, you're the worst president in the history of the country, and your lie has killed 150,000 people. And I use that number because that's the number that would still be alive if we had the same mortality rate as Germany did, which, of course, would be dependent on having a competent, insane leader. But where is that knife's edge of anger and outrage that I think he has to summon on behalf of the American people? But to do it in a way that's persuasive, that's not a turnoff. Steve, what you just said is exactly right. He has to be angry on behalf of somebody else, not himself. You know, Trump will try to get him angry by going after his family, bringing up Hunter Biden, and really try to get under his skin. Biden needs to be prepared to handle that. But his real anger needs to come on behalf of the American people. And, you know, I was thinking, what is this like? You know, that we've never had a situation like this. And the only thing that I could come up with was really the McCarthy hearings and the moment where Joe Welch, you know, said in the middle of the hearings, have you no decency? He needs a moment like that. Have you no decency? Or, or, or turn it around and speak to the American people. Aren't you tired of this? Haven't you had enough of this distortion? Wouldn't you want a president that focuses on you and only you and will always be honest and transparent with you? Those are the types of moments that I think will really clarify this race. Um, you know, I just was reading the clips this morning and came across a Bernie Sanders quote who said, you know, this is an election really between Donald Trump and democracy and democracy has to win. That's what this is. Are we going to defend our democracy or are we going to allow Donald Trump to have a second term? Nicole, so a question for you. You know, you've obviously helped to prepare candidates for presidential debates. Now you're going to help America interpret what happens on Tuesday night. And so what is, where's the balance here? How much of it is just having a great, solid 90 minutes all the way through? And how much does a candidate and a campaign need to think through? Where are a couple moments that you might be talking about in your immediate post-debate coverage, uh, but that folks all over the country and world, quite frankly, be sharing on social media? So I think the conventions gave us a good window into that, right? I mean, to a person, every Democrat I know was spooked by Trump's week for the audacity of the propaganda, right? He was at the White House. They were at a military installation. He used the South Lawn and he mainlined his base, this big lie. No one wore masks. People were not socially distanced. And 
most Democrats I know were spooked by it. The week ended and they had this feeling that he'd pulled off something, a charade or a um, alternate reality or something. Polls came out and they showed the race completely unchanged. I think that a plurality of Americans are in on, they're on to him in a way they weren't four years ago. This is neither just a base election nor just a campaign for undecideds. Both are doing both. But one is running to disenfranchise every person that takes advantage of their right to vote by mail. Only one is running to counter ballot. One is using the state, the, the Justice Department, to disenfranchise millions of voters. So I, I think the time for sort of both sidesism is over. The Trump scam wasn't really something that anyone beyond his base bought. What does Biden need to say to him about COVID? You go first, Tom. What I would say is that the number one job of the president of the United States is to protect the American people, not your own political prospects or reelection, but protect the American people. And that means always being prepared. You don't throw out a pandemic playbook because it came from the other party. You don't ignore the scientists because it doesn't jive with your campaign plan. You don't try to change health advice coming from the CDC because you're worried it will scare people. These are the kinds of things that presidents don't do. Their number one job is to protect the American people. I think, you know, regardless of my advice to Joe Biden here, I think that's going to be evidently clear on Tuesday night. We get the Trump charade now that it's all an act. And that's, you know, raises another question. Do these debates even matter in terms of the course of this race? Since COVID broke out about six and a half months ago, this race has been incredibly stable. You know, Biden on average is at or close to 50%. Uh, Trump is at or close to low 40s, maybe 42. You know, they go up or down one or two points, but it's largely very stable. So will these debates disrupt that? If anything, I think it will solidify where we are because Donald Trump doesn't have a good answer on COVID. He doesn't have a good answer on the economy. That's believable because people are living it right now. Well, Stephanie, I agree with that. Now, that would be a significant accomplishment for Biden since he does have a, you know, significant, stable and sizable um, lead in some of these battlegrounds. If he can just freeze the race, uh, that's great for him. Joe Biden's going to have to address in the most effective way possible, I think, this idea that Trump will not submit to the peaceful transition of power should he lose the election. And as I, I, I think about it, there's there's two ways to deal with it. You, you can go out and you can assert with defiance, right, that we will not allow that to happen in this in this country. Or you can go out and you can convey worry and alarm. How should Biden talk about this, but how should we all think about this? I mean, you're you're three of the most brilliant political minds I've ever met in my career, and I, I am befuddled on what the right tone on this issue is with regard to an American president essentially saying the American experiment, this great experiment that bursts in 1776 that puts forward this idea that the people can govern themselves 
and that we transition our leadership peacefully through assassination, world war, civil war, all manner of crisis. The idea that it could be coming to an end because an American president's no longer faithful to it. How do we talk about that? Well, that was pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I feel like what I'm going to say is going to sound small compared to that. You know, I mean, I'm just going to point out a couple of obvious things um, that calling him out on his motivation for why he's doing this. He's doing this because he's losing and he doesn't like to lose and repeatedly call him out on that. I also think if, you know, once this election happens and the votes are counted and whatever Trump does, he does, if he calls this election into question and there's no peaceful transition of power, I don't know what peaceful means in this context, um, then it's going to take more than Democrats standing up on this. And I, I do think, depending upon the results of the election, you know, you've got how many Republican senators up, but there's half dozen really tight races, their elections are going to be impacted by what Trump does too. Do they want to be part of this challenging the election, refusing a peaceful transition of power? Or are they just going to concede, call their opponent and say, you won fair and square? It's on them too. It's on all of us. I do think people are on to what Trump is doing and, we, and the nation just needs to decide if they were ready to move on from Trump or to buy into his continual bullshit on this. I think everyone that is for democracy is on the defensive and there needs to be a posture shift. Mm-hmm. The, the offensive position is when you call into question a result that betrays every poll that exists. And I, I think that there is a fundamental weakness and sort of flaccid nature to the questioning around this, that only Donald Trump's going to question the outcome of a defeat. Why aren't we asking if Donald Trump's going to and Republicans are going to question an outcome that has him winning after all the ballots are counted? That would suggest serious election interference. And I think there's a real, because this is so uncomfortable, questioning the fucking democratic process is so unnatural and abnormal. But Donald Trump keeps winning because of the unnatural and abnormal contortions of the democracy. And if Democrats want to get an offense, they're going to start asking Donald Trump if he questioned an outcome in which he wins after all the ballots count. And as long as they remain on defense, they'll be on defense through election night and beyond. Nicole, I agree with your um, formulation, which is you need to put back on Trump. He's probably not even thought that he's going to get asked that question. What if you're declared the winner? But generally, I think, you know, this is a political weapon for Joe Biden to wield and Democrats, because I'd say even half of Trump voters, scary that half don't think this, you don't believe that the winner of the election should be the next president. And so I think Joe Biden, this can be a real moment to say, listen, two, to over 200,000 people have died you know, because of your lack of leadership. You've allowed the Russians to put bounties on American troops. You've looked after the wealthy and screwed the middle class. No right. wonder you don't want the election to count, but it's going right. to count. Like right. I, I just think there is a little bit of change here. I agree that everyone's like, Ooh, what's Trump going to do as opposed to like, we're going to whack him over the fucking head with this and make him pay a price. Stick around. We'll be right back to talk to Nicole and Stephanie about all things Supreme Court. Welcome back. We're still here with Nicole Wallace and Stephanie Cutter. And now we're going to dive into the Supreme Court battle. Stephanie, you and I um, share a unique experience. We have run Supreme Court confirmations 
you did for Justice Sotomayor, and I ran the uh, Roberts and Alito confirmations when I was in the Bush White House, and of course Nicole was the White House communications director and my and my boss during those days. What are we looking at in this Supreme Court fight? Do Democrats have have any chance? to stop this nomination from going forward. I was talking to a uh, reporter about this, and I said, you know, stopping a Supreme Court confirmation isn't so different from robbing a train, <laughs> which is before you can get on the train and, and get to the safe, you got to slow down the train. <laughs> well, yes, it is possible. If you remember, Schmidt, I ran the opposition to Alito and Roberts in the Senate, which, of course, you guys trampled right over us. <laughs> but I do think that the number one, they've got two, two priorities. Number one, really, you know, solidify in the American mindset that this is not a legitimate nomination. They set the rules and now they're breaking them because the rules weren't working in their favor. And we have to make that case that this is not a legitimate nomination. Number two, I think they do need to find a way to delay a vote until after the election. And there are ways they can do that is whether or not they're willing to do it. And they can deny unanimous consent for a quorum on the Senate floor, which prevents the Senate from taking up any business, which would prevent them from taking up the vote. But that requires a senator to be sitting on the floor for 24 hours a day to make sure that there's an objected, object, objection to a UC motion. Uh, the other thing they can do is they can make this really politically unpalatable for candidates that are running. You know, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out of why they're trying to jam this through. They're, they're afraid they're going to lose the election and not be able to have this pick. But number two, there's a case before the Supreme Court just days after the election on the Affordable Care Act. The Trump uh, administration is a party to this case trying to overturn the Affordable Care Act. They need another vote on the court in order to balance Roberts, basically, uh, a Republican pick, because he has been the swing vote that has protected the Affordable Care Act in the past. So they are trying to stack the court to overturn the Affordable Care Act. Healthcare is on the ballot this election already, particularly because we're living through a pandemic. But calling out why they are trying to jam this nominee through because they want to overturn people's health care take away your protections for pre-existing condition is, is an incredibly important argument for people to be making in this election. If they do it well, it will make Republicans nervous to be a party to this. It will also change the dynamic after the election. If the Democrats are successful in pushing this past the election, it will change the dynamic of how people look at the nominee, the Supreme Court nominee rather. So those are the kinds of things that I would think about. Jam the message on health care, try to delay this past the election, and call this out as an illegitimate nomination. So Stephanie, I was struck by something you said. I, I never worked in the Senate during my career, and you obviously have and, and worked for the lion of the Senate, Ted Kennedy. Can you talk about the unanimous consent rules? Am I hearing you correctly that basically all that it would take is Democratic senators working in platoons to stay on the floor for 24 continuous hours to push this back past the election? Yeah, it's not as simple as we make it out to be. But the way the Senate does its business on the floor is by asking for unanimous consent to move to something. And usually everybody just agrees to an unanimous consent. Unless somebody is there to object to it, it happens. 
So if you keep a Democratic senator on the floor that is objecting to every time Mitch McConnell is asking for UC to move to business, then it requires every senator to come back and a roll call vote to be had to move to business. And that's difficult with so many Republican senators in extremely tight races, three of which, Tillis, Ernst, and Graham, Graham being the chair of the Judiciary Committee, sit on the Judiciary Committee. So that will make this really uncomfortable for Republican incumbents that are in tight elections. And that, you know, obviously Mitch McConnell is, is always ready for this kind of thing and he'll have a plan for it. Um, but it can, it can buy you a few days. Days or weeks? I think with it being Mitch McConnell, it could, you know, uh, unless he keeps the Senate in session over weekends and there's an October break and all of that, it could, it could probably be days. But look, they're not expecting to, uh, what is the date that I saw for the hearings? Was it the week of October 24th? Um, If it's the week of October 24th for hearings, then it's the following week for a vote. So you're pretty damn close to the election. I think Stephanie had some really good ideas there about how they might be able to push this past um, the election. So Nicole, if the Senate GOP moves forward and confirms Trump's pick, how can Biden turn this into something where, you know, whether it's suburban women, whether it's getting uh, some younger Democrats out to vote who may not vote, how does he win the political argument here that could produce actual raw additional votes on Election Day? I mean, I think this is such a political loser for Trump and the Republicans. And I didn't have that feeling when the news first broke, but I've made calls to Democratic and Republican operatives still working on Senate campaigns. You got 60 plus percent of the public that views Roe as settled law. And you've got a vast majority of Americans who support Obamacare. And you've also got a a giant number of Americans, what I think we crossed 7 million people who've been infected with COVID that would lose their coverage if that's a pre-existing condition. I think that we all know from our time in the White House that voters intuitively reach for political equilibrium. That's why we all worked for presidents who got clobbered in midterms. And I'm pessimistic about the ability to stop this, but I'm just certain in my bones that the the political price will be Mitch McConnell, minority leader for a very long time. And I think it makes it hard for Republicans to win for a generation because the court will be locked up as right wing. I, I think it's a real electoral political bombshell for the Republican Party, and it deserves to go away for a long, long time. This will only help that. I agree with that, Nicole. It's What's interesting is both on the um, voting issue, so Trump saying that he's not going to abide by the election results and the Supreme Court, I think there was a sense that, oh, how's Trump going to turn these to his advantage? I actually think if Democrats can't fully exploit them and produce real additional support, you know, they should just retire because I think these things are teed up very much so. And I don't know that you have to like craft some fancy message. You, 67% of the country wants, just views Roe as settled. They don't want to fight about abortion. They, they, Roe settles it. There are, there are efforts in just about every Republican-run state to encroach upon reproductive freedoms. People have widely negative views of that. And I think the Affordable Care Act has become more popular by the month since it's passed. And Donald Trump's done nothing to turn around the politics on either one of those things. So I, I think it's a, I think both are just political losers for Republicans. 
Well, Stephanie and Nicole, thank you so much for being with both of us today. It was great to have you. Your insights are incredible. And we're going to have some really difficult days, I think, ahead for this country over the next couple of months. And your wisdom and your voices are an important part of moving this country past this terrible era. It's great to get the band back together to have these discussions. Yeah, thanks, Stephanie and Nicole. I learned a lot from both of you. Well, I always learn a lot from both of you when I talk to you off mic, but thanks for joining us today. Makes me more excited for the debate. Can you imagine if all four of us were on a campaign together? That would be fun. I would love that. <laughs> we kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> campaign for America. America. Oh, man. <laughs> Schmidt 2028. What do we think? I mean, he would he probably wouldn't vet, but you know, it'd be fun. <laughs> we would have we would have enormous vetting issues. Actually, more. no more white dude Schmidt. It can't be you. It could be Stephanie or Nicole. I'd work on that campaign. No, but like it's vetting Thing. Donald Trump is the president. I think vetting is as dead as norms. Is it really like is but that's the question. Is like it all dead? Like is this now politics has been or is this just know. a four-year nightmare we're living through? I mean, look, like that should be our next conversation. Who knows? I, I mean, I am positive that I know nothing. And and that's sort of how I try to start every two hour increment of my job. Do you think like all future candidates can now say, of course, I smoked a lot of pot. I lived through the Trump presidency. Yeah. I mean, look, and I, I think that like counts in the plus column. I mean, yeah. I, you know, the, the truth is, I don't know. You got the folks over at Fox like defending like all of Trump's attacks on democracy. You really think someone's going to like run an ad about someone you know, having a pot card? I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I'm David Pluff. And I'm Steve Schmidt. Battleground is a podcast from The Recount. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for the third episode of Battleground. Next week, we're diving into Arizona. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. And Christian Castro-Lasalle is our executive producer. 